Good afternoon, Texans. You're listening to the Bi-Monthly Disaster, hosted by Nicholas Ratcliffe and Rylan Holt. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the escalating tensions between the U.S. and Russia over the Ukraine situation, as well as the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. So before me and Rylan get into the bulk of the conversation, we kind of wanted just to break down what the North Atlantic Treaty Organization is, or NATO for short, as most people call it, why it was formed, and kind of just the history behind it, and why Russia is so worried about NATO in general. So the original formation happened at the start of the Cold War, and it was these countries getting together kind of to, I guess, compete against um, the Soviet Union at the time. So the original members of NATO were Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, the United Kingdom, and the United States. So during the Cold War, NATO decided to keep expanding because it wanted to keep further protecting its original countries, plus adding support to the other countries who were struggling to compete with the USSR at the time. So 1952, Greece and Turkey joined. And then fast forward to 1955, and West Germany joined. Now, this was not the full Germany because at the time, the Cold War was still at its height, and Germany was divided between Western East with the Berlin Wall. In 1982, Spain also decided to join the mix. Now, obviously, the Soviet Union fell, and when that happened, Germany reunited and decided to fully join NATO for full protection. NATO's goal at the time was to help Germany rediscover democracy and to help unite the two halves that had been separated for a couple years. But NATO decided that it didn't want to stop there. In 1999, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland all also decided to join NATO. Fast forward to 2004, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia all decided to join as well. Then, in 2009, Al... Albania and Croatia decided to join. Fast forward to 2007, and Montenegro decided it was time to join NATO as well. And then finally in 2020, we had the last most modern updated edition of NATO with North Macedonia joining. So essentially, Russia is mad about this whole situation because back in the early 90s, right when Germany was being reunited, The current U.S. Secretary of State at the time, James A. Barker, told the Soviet Union leader, Michael Gorbachev, that there would be no extension of NATO's jurisdiction or forces one inch to the east. Now, what the general is actually saying is that since eastern Germany was being brought into the fold, they weren't going to extend their military bases into that side of the country. They were going to keep them just on the German side. That's at least what NATO claims today. On top of this, at the time, most of the countries that joined post-Cold War were still part of the USSR. The USSR did not end with the collapse of the Berlin Wall. That just kind of accelerated where it went. Yeah, and I mean, today, NATO really um, exemplifies itself as being the premier um, safety net, essentially, for these European nations. Um, It's just a collaborative of them all in not necessarily opposition of Soviet Russia, um, not just for them, but for any advances from any military around the world. Um, That's their real purpose. And so I feel like today with the the newest updated list, um, it makes sense as to why Ukraine now is like, hey, 
we kind of want to be a part of that because of the imposing Russian fleets that are coming forward and wanting to take us back. And then to kind of top it off, you know, to add to what you're saying, Ryland, um, Ukraine has been working with NATO for a couple of years now. They actually have a really close relationship that we'll kind of dive into more later. Um, ever since the USSR fell and Ukraine kind of took its own destiny into its hand and it became a democracy, their leaders have slowly gravitated more and more west and agreed more and more with the west, you know, politics, ideologies, philosophies, all that kind of stuff. Um, this has really made Putin in particular mad, especially the further into the 2000s that we get. So now that we've kind of broken down why Russia's so mad about NATO and what NATO is and how it's gotten a lot larger over the years, um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about what Russia wants out of America. Now, some of these are a little ridiculous and would never happen, and a, a lot of people are saying that Russia purposely did this so the demands would never be met, so they would have justification for invading the Ukraine. Um, all of these articles uh, were found on CFR.org, by the way. So if anyone at home would like to go check them out later, um, check out CFR.org. It, it really does give a great rundown of the whole situation that's going on. So the first thing I wanted to talk about that Russia's asking, um, and I'm just going to directly read what Russia asked, and then I'll kind of clarify what that actually means, um, is Article 4 calls for NATO to end its eastward expansion, ex specifically deny future membership to ex-Soviet states such as Ukraine. It would also ban the United States from establishing bases in or cooperating militarily with former Soviet states. So essentially, just this means that not only the Ukraine, which is being debated on allowed um, on being allowed to join NATO right now, it, it not only limits what our military can do there and uh, letting them into um, the agreement to begin with, but w it would also halt all military operations that are already happening in old Soviet Union countries. I really think that these, so which, from what you just read here in Article 4, I'm really just hearing Russia being like, hey, you're powerful and we don't want you to be so that we can also be powerful. And it's really them explaining and just showing their weakness, really. I mean, it's just kind of funny. Is like, who would make that demand and be like, we need you to stop growing or we're scared? Like, that would almost be like, let's say Arkansas decided it wants to launch its own NFL franchise, right? That would be like Arkansas demanding its citizens no longer support the Dallas Cowboys, which has traditionally been a team that Arkansas citizens support, and demand that they halt all agreements, all trade with any Cowboys franchise and exclusively just allow the new franchise to take place in Arkansas. Like, that's what Russia's doing in my mind. They're coming in and they're telling us what we can and can't do with countries that we've already been working with for 20 years now. I mean, like, it's a ridiculous demand if you think about it. And I agree with you. It, it shows a lot of weakness, I think, on Russia's part that they think that they can just tell us what to do with countries we've already been working with for 20 years now. Yeah, and even if NATO does successfully get Ukraine, you know, and it, be, it brings that border closer to Russia, it's the same way. If Russia gets Ukraine, it just brings that border 
closer to NATO. Exactly. There's no longer a space in there where there is nothing going on. Um, And so I'm not sure I totally understand their whole thought process on this. You know, and I don't either. And I'm not 100% all for, like, American expansionism, like, let's worry about other countries. But, like, that's not the point of NATO. Well, this isn't american expansion no. at all this is like nato is for european union european nations at this point it was initially to back the united states in defense against soviet russia right but it was because soviet russia is right there next to europe and so therefore it was also in defense of europe but now its main priority is to ensure the safety of these nations a hundred percent and more what i was trying to say is like these countries voted to join NATO on their own accord. This was not, you know, France, Britain, Germany strong-arming these countries into joining this union. This was not America pushing some political agenda on these other countries. These countries left the USSR when it fell. They chose democracy, and then they chose to join other democratic countries to help defend democracy around the world. I mean, like... I mean, this whole thing is just kind of wild to me because it's like, who are you talking about Russia to come and tell us who you you are not even a part of this? Yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. It's to defend against people like you, but you have no say in our business. And so, like, who are you to tell us what we can and can't do? And like, even if you are going to retaliate, you just told us you're scared of us. So, like, come on with it. I would also like to add that during the Clinton administration in the 90s. Clinton personally offered Russia a spot in NATO and a top spot in NATO. So Russia has been asked to join NATO in the past. They didn't, while it was started anti-Soviet Union for sure, NATO did try to extend into Russia when it became a democracy. So it is by no means an anti-Russian agency. It was anti-communism at the time. And Russia is no longer... A communist state so russia doesn't have to be its enemy is my point it's choosing to be its enemy yeah um so the next article i wanted to talk um this one it's interesting this one was actually less directed at nato and more particularly russia and america trying to come to their own agreements just as superpowers quote unquote um so article five asks that um both signatures would stop either Russia or America from deploying military assets in areas outside of their national borders that could be perceived by the other party as a threat to its national security. So this means that heavy bombers and surface warships of any type shall be stopped from deploying outside of the party's national airspace or territorial waters. Essentially what this is saying is that America would lose its right to patrol the entire ocean in the world like we have been doing since World War II. America would lose its right to operate in any airspace that is not directly above our country or our territory. In other words, it gives Russia full, full ammunition to say whenever one of our military planes leaves our airspace that they feel threatened and attacked by it. I'm confused by this one because, you know, the last one was Russia saying essentially like, hey, like you're you're getting too big and like we can't do anything about it if you keep going growing. Um, but this one, I don't quite understand because they're saying, Hey, we will both not leave our area. Right. So that cuts them out of what they're trying to do. And it keeps us from stopping them from what they're trying to do, but they just cancel each other out. And we just go on about our day. Like 
none of this has happened. Yeah, essentially all it would do is stop America's military from being able to assist other countries around the world. I now, mean, America does have bases in Japan, Germany, Britain, all across the globe. We have agreements, and I wonder if Russia thinks that if we agreed to this, that we would stop, like, we would pull our military from Japan and South Korea, which is just ridiculous that they would even think that. Maybe they're betting on the downfall from this say because we do have bases in so many areas and we are actively participating in um areas around the world that have conflicts right Mm -hmm. and so with our military leaving it allows great opportunities for these places to just implode on themselves a hundred percent and to give a great real life example of exactly what Rylan's talking about right now let's take south korea and north korea now america has been stationed in south korea ever since the korean war we have been there we have tried to help south korea not only become a thriving democracy which they are but we've also helped train their military helped bring it up to modern standards and gotten it to the point where they can assist us if china decides to attack or if north korea decides to attack America, Japan, South Korea, New Zealand, and Australia all are in a similar type treaty agreement as NAFTA to all defend the South by South China Sea. If America withdrew from South Korea, how long before North Korea really has an idea to maybe push their border down a little bit? Maybe that is what Putin is betting on. Like you said, he's plotting on the downfall. Like maybe he wants us to leave some of these countries so China will have more access in the South Chinese Sea and so that North Korea might be able to destabilize South Korea a little bit. Yeah, I mean, from the America I know, I don't believe that we would ever agree oh, to that no statement. Way in hell. Um, like there's not a there's not a chance we're gonna sign that. But his intention is definitely not necessarily for him to get his hands dirty, but for other people to get their hands dirty. On his for, behalf. For him to step in later. Yeah. And then expand his borders that way. Not by him waging a war, but by them waging a war on themselves and then destroying themselves. And then so he rushes like, hey, we can help. Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost like he wants America out so he can step in. Like, oh, yeah. Like 100%. So the next article, Article 6, um, This one calls for parties to confine their deployments of intermediate and short-range ground launch missiles to their own territories and only in areas where they could not strike the other's territory. So Russia here is saying that if we get rid of our missile silos, they'll get rid of theirs. But I would like to add that Russia currently has way more nuclear missile warheads stockpiled than America And even though under the Obama administration, America started disarming some of our nuclear warheads, Russia has been building more. So why would Russia actually agree to this? Why why do they think America would agree to this? And why do they why do they think that we think that they would legitimately destroy their silos if every step we've taken in the past to de-arm Russia, even while de-arming ourselves, didn't work? Same concept as the last article. It's just crazy because if you think about it, Alaska is in short missile range of Russia. Now, Alaska is a full-blown state. Like, that is ours 100%. They could not ever tell 
Alaskans or I feel like just our government as Americans that we're not allowed to have as many missile defense systems in place in Alaska as we want to. I mean, all of this is just sounding like Putin has a backwards um, plan on this. It's not as it's read. It's most definitely not as it's read. No, it's Um, not. There is some higher level. I'll give it to him. There's some higher level thinking here. Now, I think he should go to the insane asylum for thinking that we would ever agree to this. But it's a good play. It's tactical. It's a good play. People forget, or maybe they don't forget, but it's just not talked about as much as it used to be. Putin was in charge of the KGB during the Soviet Union. I mean, like, Putin has been a part of Russia's political machine even before they were Russia. And on top of that, Putin was the guy in charge of their version of the CIA, the one, you know, the the government agency that is kind of used to destabilize parts of the world and to do everything to kind of prop up your own home country, right? So Putin is not new to world affairs. He's not new to playing countries against each other. And in fact, he was trained during the Cold War to do exactly this kind of thing. So I agree with you. I mean, it's tactical. It's insane, but it is like almost a tactical insanity to it. Yeah. Um, so the sever one, and this is the last article that I really thought was just ridiculous and worth talking about. Um, so Article 7 would block the parties, and the parties, it means the United States and the Russia. Um, it would block the parties from deploying nuclear weapons outside their respective territories and re- require related nuclear weapon infrastructure in third-party countries to be dismantled. Essentially, it's saying that any nuclear missile silo, silo owned by America that isn't in America would need to be shut down immediately, which once again, I would like to add Russia has nuclear missile silos located all over the world as well. So it is just as equally ridiculous that they would expect us to really believe them when they say that they're going to get rid of theirs. They're going to get rid of theirs? That was in there? That's what they said. It says both parties, and that includes them. Again, man. It's... Their history doesn't show that they want to disarm, which is why it's so hard, I feel like, for us to take. Even if we wanted to take this leap of faith, they've given us nothing to take this on. Right. And, I mean, just in regards to this this conflict, say, because we're not going to agree to these things. No, um, there's no way. Even though the you said earlier that the claim, um, that the return, the answer yes which um we i was just about to get into but now that you're bringing it up i think that it's a perfect time to talk about it so america and nato have responded to these demands these demands that i just read were released by russia over a month ago and nato finally this week decided it was time to respond now america has requested that their response remain classified so journalists Um, don't really know exactly what the demand said. What we do know is that NATO has uh, put their their stamp of approval on America's response, and we also know that Ukraine has stated that they agree with America's response and that they're standing by it. Now, based off of what Russian officials are saying, according to um, the New York Times, sorry, hold on, let me find the direct quote. I don't want to misquote it here. Um, Russians are Russian officials are pretty much saying that the demands don't seem like 
like it doesn't seem like America's willing to cooperate on these demands. So while we don't know exactly the verbiage and words used, what we do know is it seems like America and NATO have pretty much told Russia, hell no, you're not getting a damn thing that you've asked for. Yeah, I like to pretend at this point that basically the entire response was like a full letter page, right? Yeah. And all it said was, hell nah. Yeah, like either in large font or just like copy pasted over and over again. You know what I mean? Or maybe we hit them with like the classic like scam or something. Like maybe we were like, hey, a Nigerian prince needs some help. And like, (laughs) that's why they're keeping it classified. I don't know. Um, I bet that will either be leaked at some point or our government will decide that the world should know what it says. Um, I think that they're keeping it kind of hush hush right now just because of the fact that uh, they're waiting to see what Russia has to say. That being said, though, um, Russia has agreed to meet in Berlin with NATO, Ukraine um, and America particularly to keep trying to talk about peace treaties, avoiding conflict. So currently, no matter what, it seems like we have at least two weeks before this escalates that much further. Yeah, but that comes into question, right, of why the last, let's say that this does escalate into a world war. A hundred percent. That the last two world wars were so devastating because the threats that were taking place that started these events were not taken seriously. They weren't nipped in the bud. And 100%. so begs the question of should we just go ahead and act and just stop it right now? Or should we try to get this peace treaty going? You know, in hopes or, you know, as like China right now is asking that they don't start this during the Olympics, right? They're like, Hey, wait. Yeah. Wait. Like hold China backs the whole backs the idea, but they're yeah. like, Hold on. Yeah. Give us a minute. And so it begs like, the question with enough of chill out Russia, you know, it's like China Putin with these, with these demands is already sounding like he's got a backwards plan. Yeah. So he's sitting at the Olympic opening ceremonies and then while everybody's there, that's where the world's eyes are. Yeah. A hundred percent. He's coming into Ukraine, yeah. slipping in the back door. No, because it's interesting how they agreed to two weeks from now and the Olympics will mostly be coming to a close at that point. Um, but Biden has gone on record and say that he does not plan boots on the ground American um, troops fighting in Ukraine. And to top that off, while I forget the name, um, according to The Guardian, the assistant prime minister of great britain in other words their vice president over there for those of you who don't know that they like to be fancy with what they call their democracy um has said that britain also is not interested in putting boots on the ground so it seems like based off those responses that even though nato is committed to defending ukraine they don't want to go to war directly with russia however that does not mean that NATO is not taking large steps right now to make it very, very painful if Russia decides to attack. Yeah, I mean, America itself, um, Biden has said that before any of this, before any weapons are used um, from American soldiers themselves, that there would be more of an economic um, shutdown from yes. us. Um as well as we would ship weapons to Ukraine. Which we already have, by the way, just to inform our uh, audience, we do currently have 
weapon shipments headed to Ukraine, um, which I can break down some of these points. Um, so currently, this is what NATO is doing to support Ukraine. So first off, back in, I think, what was it, 2012? I don't have the date directly down, but do you remember when Russia first invaded Ukraine and took Crimea? Do you remember what year that was off the top of your head? It was the early 2000s for sure. And by early 2000s, I mean early 2010s for sure. Um, Germany and France helped draft a, draft a ceasefire in 2014 that ended that. So essentially in the ceasefire, they acknowledged that the world is not going to recognize that Crimea has been annexed by Russia. It was and, February 20th, 2014. Thank you. Um, so just for those of you who don't know, Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed Crimea during this time. And Germany and France helped draft up the ceasefire. Um, and this ceasefire essentially said uh, both sides have to pull out their major weapons in that area. Both sides need to resort to politically trying to work it out. And that um, Europe will not recognize Crimea as an annexed territory of Russia and that Europe still recognizes Ukraine uh, with Crimea included in it. Now, on top of that, um, Ukraine has recently affirmed that it wants to join NATO and is currently seeking to do so. Um, NATO holds yearly military exercises with Ukraine where they practice Russian invasion and fighting off Russian invasion techniques. Now, that does not mean that NATO is planning to go into the country specifically. What that does mean is that NATO has been running drills with the Ukrainian military, preparing them for this exact situation. Um, yeah, I mean, that's optimal, right, is that Ukraine can just fight it off themselves. A hundred percent. If we could just give them weapons armor yeah and guns. it would keep all the other major powers out of exactly the conflict there where now physically they'll be in war yes politically yes um and now even if it did get past ukraine um major war generals have stated in the past that if world war three not not if when World War Three happens, not saying this could start it, but this might not be it, and it might happen later. Even if it happens later, that World War Three will be extremely lethal and fast um, because of these technical technological advances in weaponry. Yeah. Um, A great example of this, just to highlight what he's saying, back in World War Two, it took us almost a year to uh, get American troops ready and to the beaches of Normandy and to Pran D-Day. Nowadays, American Marines can be deployed, what, I think within a month, correct? I don't know the speed of that, but it's still There's, way it's, faster. It's something crazy. In other words, we can, not only can we get troops there way quicker, but, I mean, it's just like, it's effective how we can do it. I mean, the, they even go as far to say that the speed of events are likely to strain our human abilities. Um, it's it's going to happen in a blink of an eye, just like the start of it. So let's say that this does trigger. It's going to trigger it overnight. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, war's over. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but to keep going off about how NATO is supporting Ukraine, because there are a couple more points that I wanted to talk about. Um, currently, the U.S. has provided Ukraine with missiles, rocket launchers, anti-tank devices, sniper rifles, night vision gear, radars, and patrol vessels. Now, obviously, America is not publicly acknowledging everything that we have sent over there. 
But based off that list alone, it's very clear that America is providing the Ukraine military with a lot of tactical hardware that they can use to defend themselves with. Um, on top of all of this, in 2020, Ukraine became one of six enhanced opportunity partners with NATO. So just for those of you who don't know, Australia has the same agreement with NATO. This essentially means that Ukraine is already an unofficial member of NATO. Like this, this, like Australia isn't an official member of NATO, but obviously if we went to war, anyone that NATO declares war on, Australia is going to declare war on them too, just like Japan is also going to declare war on anybody. And while I don't know for sure that Japan is one of these six members, it wouldn't surprise me if one of our allies like Japan also made up another one of these six representative spots that I'm talking about. So essentially, Ukraine is kind of already part of NATO. Russia and Putin in particular just don't want to acknowledge that by letting it formally happen. So the final thing, and this is a recent development. I read this article today, and this is a big one, man, when it comes to hurting Russia's economy. Have you heard about the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline at all? So essentially, as you know, um, Europe does not have a lot of natural gas. It does not have a lot of oil, so much so that Great Britain developed a system to burn peat as fuel instead of gas like way back in the day for the Industrial Revolution. Europe has never really had stable gas that they haven't had to import and drive through multiple countries to get it to Europe, right? Now, Russia, as you know, has plenty of oil and plenty of gas. During the peace treaty talks, when Russia initially invaded Ukraine back in 2014, Germany said that if Russia plays nice and agrees, Europe will start buying most of its oil and gas directly from Russia. So they started building this pipeline through the ocean straight from Russia to Germany. And it skips the need to pay for shipment of oil through Ukraine and other countries that border them. Now, this would give all of Europe a ton of oil, and this would boost Russia's struggling economy quite a bit by, you know, oil and gas is one of their largest economic like areas. So this would really help them out. Germany has recently said that if it decides to invade Ukraine, it will cancel the gas pipeline. This pipeline has already been built, Rylan. Cost $11 billion of Russian money to build this pipeline. They haven't turned it on yet, and Germany will never turn on the pipes if Russia invades. Now, this was up for debate these past two weeks. No one knew if Germany was willing to do this, but Biden's team has officially come out and said that if Germany has to take this step, America has personally guaranteed Europe will have plenty of oil and gas. This might help our economy low-key. If we have to start shipping out a lot of oil and gas to Europe, that might mean that America would kind of let the hose flow a lot more with American oil and gas, which would help a lot of our companies here who have been struggling ever since Biden decided to start shipping it in as opposed to exporting it out. I mean, through all of this, it doesn't really sound like Russia has many options here. Um, no, because even if they invade, the sanctions placed on their economy would mean that they could no longer afford to pay for their military in six years' time. Yeah, they couldn't. We they, would literally they can't trade with we anybody. We would starve their military. It would take six years, don't get me wrong, but what can you do if you can't even pay your soldiers? Yeah, because the major importers, what are they a part of? NATO. Exactly. So I mean, Russia would still have China. 
Yeah, but China's That's a major it, exporter. China is a major exporter, and China could give Russia a lot of what it needs. But the thing is, is a lot of what Russia exports, China has plenty of, such as oil and gas. Yeah. Europe is their big ticket. Like, Europe is, you know, one of the most modern areas in the entire world. It needs oil and gas bad, and it has literally almost none. China has plenty. It's a massive country, and it has a lot offshores, too. Russia cannot make the same bang for their buck selling oil and gas to China. And Russia definitely cannot make enough bang for their buck selling technology to China because China's technology at this point is vastly superior. So yeah. without this oil and gas, Russia's losing its biggest export, which, like— that alone is enough, like, if you f even just take away 10% of a country's economy, that's crippling. And I'm pretty, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, it's quite a lot of their economy. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely backed Russia into a corner. 100%. And you can tell that they're trying to fight out of it. Still, they haven't quite conceded with the fact that they've already been beat. Um, that's the way I see it. I see it as, like, yeah. they've, already, they've already lost. No, 100%. Like, the war hadn't even started, and no, they've, they've lost, lost. it. Um, so, but some things that we kind of wanted to highlight is like Ryland said earlier, the war would start and be over quick, which means that a lot of worrying about being drafted and stuff like that, it's not necessarily warranted. Now, obviously it's not like anyone could promise that there's never going to be a draft in this situation, but America currently would use the already pre-trained soldiers who know what the hell they're doing to try to finish the war as fast as possible before they would try to spend money recruiting a large portion of the American population, sending them to boot camp, trying to train them up when they already have arguably the most effective military that's ever existed at their disposal right now. Yeah, I mean, the way that I, from the articles that I read and about how technology has influenced um, militarization um, and retaliation to these sorts of events is that the draft is very unlikely in this situation. There are some other situations um, that could also potentially start a World War III type of environment um, that would have the effect of maybe the draft. Um, a war with China in particular would uh, maybe lead to a draft just because of their vast population advantage that they have to America. Yeah, and I mean a bunch. It's kind of funny. I read an article earlier, and Chinese. Um, so somebody interviewed um, a member of the Chinese military, and he was like, "Yeah, we're, we would win like easy." Now, it's not we true. say the same thing. It's not true. Based yeah. off of military games and all the data that we have, the only thing China has better than us is their intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yeah, but then we get into the whole concept, and we can just go over this really quick, um, of Russia and China working together. Because Stay. they don't, like, Russia doesn't want China, and China doesn't want Russia. That, that's not no. the plan. China wants, the, the current ruler um, wants the original boundaries of china during the dynasty eras he wants all of that back we're talking like hundreds of years ago by the way and so that's where this is coming into play and so if him putin got together um their first order of attack is japan yes right they're gonna take 
Japan back. And just to remind everybody, Japan did invade Russia back in the 1900s. Um, Russia does not like Japan, and they have not really forgiven them since that invasion. And so then, right, the U.S. is in Japan. China and Russia would take Japan pretty quickly. Um, it it yeah. would it would be a challenge, but yeah. it happened relatively quickly. Yeah. And so then, now they've got the powers, they've got the numbers, and they've got the area where now they've pissed the NATO off enough to where it's NATO like would have to attack if Japan yeah, we're, fell. We're going to have to go to them. Yeah, they would have to. They're However, going to come to us. We're going to go to them. There's an interesting argument about the population of China that has to be had, right? So China and India do not like each other. They yeah. almost went to war, in fact, a couple months ago, um, if I remember correctly. Um, they did. There was a, a whole, because they always do like the yearly show off of the military. Well, it's because they on have. the borders and stuff. Yeah, it's because their borders aren't necessarily set in stone. It's like the mountain range, Yeah, right? it's the mountain range. And each one of them thinks that their border goes to here and there. When one yeah. of them puts military bases, bases or something. in that area, Pisses they get the upset. Off. And yeah. so then they start going back and forth and squabbling. So. The, the logical argument is America might not have the population to take on China, but India, with American technology, definitely has the population to take on China. China only has, like, a couple million more than them? I'm not sure it's a population thing. Um, you think it's a training thing? Because we have well, – America has been working with Indians' military since – the 2000s well, to help train them up. Training and, and technology. But they have access to our technology. Well, During if this you war. think about, if you come into context, the the theory that they hacked our systems and got all of our technology. China. Th- that was a whole thing that had happened. Yeah. China hacked whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there, there's there's speculation on how much they actually what, got. what they actually got. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to you know that like we don't know about our military and what they have. You know, and so like, but there's also that same concept with China, where like 100%. we don't know what they have. What we do know though is that their navy cannot operate outside the South China Sea and still compete with America's navy. I just it's think not that with America's landmass, yes, in general, and how far we are from, and yes, all of them, like they would have to cross an ocean no matter what. And so our our air force and our navy would 100% come into play into this. And so I think that's why we've really got the upper hand on them from a tactical standpoint is because we also have all those countries in, in NATO and our independent allies mm-hmm. that we and can go And the allies through. like I said earlier that help uh, keep control of the South by South China Sea. Yeah, obviously. that we can yeah. that we can just walk through their country yes. to get to China uh-huh. and we can just come at them from all sides. Yes. Now, that's if China if we're just fighting China alone, but that's not going to happen. It'll be China and Russia. Maybe. There is an argument to be made though, however, because Putin is very religious. He's very Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Orthodoxy is ingrained into Russian society as you know. That's where they moved when they separated from the Catholic Church way back in the day. Like, we're talking hundreds of years ago. China, notoriously, currently has concentration camps for some of their Muslim subpopulation. The Christians in China have to practice underground and 
you know, American churches literally launched mission trips over there to smuggle Chinese Christians out who were scared of the Communist Party. In other words, while it might be mutual beneficial for China and Russia to go to war together, if they were to even win, the idea of both of them sharing the world together does not work. It, it, on paper, it does not work. It would be like Germany and Japan sharing the world post-World War II if they had won. Both those nations had conflicting viewpoints on the world that just wouldn't have been able to sustain themselves. You know what I mean? So Russia is a threat with China, of course. But like, if we play our cards right now, Russia might be our ally against China in 20 years. It still is kind of undecided with where that one's going. If Putin's in charge, I tend to agree with you, though, Ryland. He would probably side with China. But Putin's getting old, man. Putin's getting real old. And if the next person gets put in is any, just even slightly more pro-America and slightly more anti-China, that would be something to look at. Because China does currently have troops posted at the border of Russia, and Russia does currently have troops posted at the border of China. So why these two like to pretend like they are friends to scare America, tactically, they do stuff constantly that makes it seem like they could invade each other at any point as well. I think that they're more of like if you had a magnet, right? Yeah. And you you know, instead of the sides that stick together, you have the sides that push against each other. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that where they're just close enough to where they can be in the same space, but there's still a force yeah. pushing back and holding them apart from each other. Like so that China and Russia would never have the relationship that America, Germany, France, and Canada share, yeah, if that no, makes sense. Like no. that would never happen. Like Americans, I hate to say it, uh, you know, to make a broad statement, but I know how I feel about it. If France went to war, and their democracy was at stake, I would feel like America almost has to go help them. You know what I mean? Like, I would feel like just with how long we've been allies with France, I mean, go all the way back to the Revolutionary War, it would be un-American to not help our allies in a situation like that. I mean, if we take into consideration the amount of force and the amount of money we spent on Afghanistan, yeah. Iran, um, all those places where we don't necessarily... Well, it depends on who you talk to and who you ask. Yeah, because um, that is a politically charged It depends on who you ask. But um, I would say that our political affiliation with France is stronger. And so... 100%. It, w- it would just be double the size. Yeah. Like, America I mean, would almost... Do you remember back when... It. You remember back when ISIS um, attacked Paris and yeah. shot up a whole bunch of people? I remember as, like, like, obviously, we're American, and, like, it didn't hit us the same as it would hit, like, a French citizen, obviously, right? But it still hit me hard, and I was sad, and I felt bad for them. And I remember our news cycle was offering as much support as possible, was trying to promote France and, like, kind of, like, help just promote the image that France are the badasses that they are um, and all that stuff. To me, it kind of reminds me of how when 9-11 happened, a lot of countries, you know, gave America some money. They offered their support. They showed that they stand with America. It was just I remember that moment and realizing just how, like, connected our cultures are, even though they're completely separate. I mean, I think that we're so emotionally connected with them um, as opposed to a country like 
Iran or Afghanistan 100%. just because of the way that our textbooks talk about it. Think about it. That you've is a been, fair point. You've been almost indoctrinated. Yeah, almost like just conditioned. Yeah. To think this way, 100%. about this country. Now, if you went and read somebody else's textbook it would, about them, it would change argue. your yeah. You read with that. That's the whole concept of it all, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. But um, the reason, so there's a lot of talk online right now, um, and I don't necessarily have the source right off hand, but I know that I've definitely read this. And if you Google this, it will definitely come up. Um, there's a lot of talk that Ukraine is a failing democracy and that it might not even be worth protecting. Now, first off, I want to say that my opinion on that issue is that any country whose citizens want democracy deserve it. Because I believe, like, yes, of course, democracy has its faults, and I'm not even here to bring in, like, capitalism and all that, the funky side where a lot of debate happens about democracy. Democracy at its core is a country with the people in charge and the people making decisions. And I think that that is a phenomenal thing to have. I mean, let's look at China and their lack of democracy and realize that they have concentration camps over there that... During the Olympics that we're going to talk about here pretty soon, journalists aren't allowed to leave the bubble and go explore their country. I mean, you can't even talk about Winnie the Pooh in yeah. China without being arrested by the Chinese Communist Party. That is scary. How, I'm not sure. So a lot of that currently that they can't leave their, their dormitory, their, their space, or like leave the... The boundaries, a lot of it has to do with COVID, um, too. Yeah, but at that's this almost moment. an easy well, out. Yeah, but but see, like in we're talking about a party that lies. Well, constantly, yeah, like it, you know, I mean, you couldn't go into China and report on China. No, but for the Olympic game standpoint, well, but China did say this is where it kind of adds some sketchiness to it. They did make a statement saying that any foreign athlete visiting that makes a political statement will be held to China law. They did say that. Well, yeah, um, there is that. But, so they're, they're just defending that concept. They just, they don't want it to get out of hand there. So I think that's what they're trying to do there. But if you take into consideration that almost the whole point of a country wanting to host the Olympics is to showcase their country yes. and their power yeah. and how awesome they are. Yeah. And how well off they are. So like in 2008, right? Yeah. At the Beijing summer Olympics, um, they, they wanted to show that invalidate its authoritarian system. Right. And, Kind of did. Kind of did. Um, it was a soft victory. Um, people saw that. And I would also like to say that then um, they were allowed to leave and like go and like tour around China, but obviously in the restricted areas. Yes. Um, so they were still restricting. Village, I think now I with what you were saying of the them not being able to leave and go tour around and all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of that does have to do with just straight COVID, just straight COVID because China has one of the strictest COVID regulations. That is fair. If you take in consideration, right. That how many, how many cases 
a day are we getting in most rural, like um, developed cities in Texas? Do you know that off the top of your head? I don't. Um, okay, well, it's an absurd amount. I'm sure it China is. China had one town. They got 200 cases in a month. Oh, uh, okay. Which is really low. Like, it was, it was yeah. in a city. Yeah. It's 200 cases in a month, yeah. and they shut it down. It's a zero. So they're they're not going for... Good enough. To coexisting with COVID. They're going for zero COVID. I guess coexisting with COVID is almost more of a democracy thing because it's more of the people saying we're tired of listening to our government. But in a country like China, where the government has full power, it kind of makes sense that they would go for more of the zero COVID like, policy like they and shut that down the citizens wouldn't really be able to argue against that kind of treatment. Like according to the U.S. Sun, um, the, the country's city, right, had 13 million residents. Only 200 of them had to test positive and they shut it all down. Okay. The whole city is shut down. There's not a thing going on. Huh. Right. And so, this is also putting a strain and threat because the Olympics are happening. And so, because of their zero COVID wants, I think that's a lot of why they're, they're strict. totally concealing the Olympics. It's turning into like the NBA bubble out here. Yeah, it really is. Um, but, you know, to add, uh, because a lot of people didn't know this. In fact, I didn't know this until recently myself. Um, the U.S. is politically protesting this Olympics. So it's an interesting – it's like a boycott, but it's not a boycott. It's, it's very interesting, and I'm sure Ryland has a lot more to say about this. But essentially from what I understand, we're fully participating athletically, correct? But we're yeah. not sending government officials? So is that right? The US, or what's going on so with that? So according to ABC News, um, the U.S. has said it will not send dignitaries to the Games – which opened on February 4th okay. in a protest over China's detention of more, of more than 1 million Uyghur Muslims in the northwest region. This was of, the um, concentration camps and genocide that of, I was referring to earlier, yeah, by of the Xinjiang, way. along with crackdowns on human rights elsewhere in the country. Um, I mean, you got to take consideration. I don't know if any of our listeners have watched uh, Vice before. Yeah. But Vice goes into these concentration camps, yes. essentially, and they're brutal. They're they're not, they're, they're not. I mean, any, Auschwitz level, but they're no. But any detaining of a citizen based off of a cultural or ethnic background is brutal. And I mean, it's not itself. even it's not even like jail, right? Like the, yeah. these people have have committed crimes according to China. Yeah. Right, but it's not like a jail. This is a camp where they are underfed. They are overworked. And it's slave labor is essentially yeah. what it is. They have like factories at them and stuff like that, don't they? To like, oh, make yeah. Stuff? Like yeah. Like a, there's a big, there's sell? a big timber, uh, big timber operation. That, that's timber. a big one. Yeah, that's a big on one. Timber. Um, well, I don't even think like U.S. companies are even in on that. That's or just a Chinese. That's just a Chinese mm. thing going on. So do you think I forget that the Chinese party has that much control over business. So do you think that when like an American company makes a deal with a Chinese Distribute like uh, distributor of goods. Do you think that they're really just making that deal with China, and then China just sends them goods from whatever factory they want within their country, or like how do you think that? that oh yeah, I mean, works? there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of thought on this and investigation on this, um, especially with modern phones um, and how they're made. Um, as we've heard, there are 
China likes to call them rumors, but they have been confirmed of child labor mm. in these factories. Um, a lot of it, but from watching these videos, a lot of it, though, is the um, the economy of China and how poor a lot of their citizens are. Yeah. And in these families, the children end up needing to work. Just so the family can eat. Yeah, because they are unskilled workers. Yeah. And so these factories hire them at really low weights, wages. Like, they're paying these children, like, 35 cents a day. And they're working 12-hour shifts overnight, waking up in the morning and going to school. And Just then to go to work taking night. a nap and going back. Yeah. Which you is know. brutal. I mean, it's just, it, it's horrible. And these in these companies, though, what I'm trying to get at here, though, is that these reporters have gone in, found the evidence, recorded the evidence, and have sent letters to these companies, and even sent letters to the American companies who purchase from these um, industries. I believe Nike's one of them, right? Nike, I think, I think Microsoft. Nike. Um, Microsoft's a big one. Um but that's one of those things we can get even more political in on yeah, this about course, how big these companies are and we're how they not, can just turn a blind eye and you're going to buy their product. We're anyway. not necessarily but, condoning or getting mad. At I mean, these I'm still going to buy Nikes, but like it's or, or, or these companies because we don't necessarily know the inner workings and how they're making these decisions. But we do know that these companies know that some of their stuff is coming from child labor. I think it's I think they're aware that it's a possibility. Same thing with the concentration camps. I think that even with the timber industry, you know, I think that a lot of places are understand that it's a very great possibility that it comes from there. However, they're not going to ask questions and they don't want to know the answers. Yeah. So they're keeping themselves in the safe area in the in the gray area as we should call it really mm-hmm. of not knowing. Yeah. Right. They know that, that it has a possibility. But yeah, so that's what the U.S. is boycotting. So the government now is taking a stance against it. Um, like now, Biden will not be attending, for example, which is yeah, the which only, is odd. Usually a president will at least pop their head in at the Olympic Games. Like, for example, for the opening ceremony, for example, Russia, Putin has agreed and signed saying that he will be in attendance at the opening ceremonies. Right. Whereas we will not be um, in the protest. However, we are sending our athletes. Um, so the boycott does not prevent the U.S. athletes from taking part in the games, which are being held under strict anti-pandemic rules. Now, anti-pandemic rules does not mean that they're trying to make the pandemic stronger. It literally just means that they are against the pandemic continuing, the zero concept. China has also protested what it says are calls within the State Department to withdraw staff and their dependence from the embassy and consulates around China over the tightening restrictions. So, like, the U.S. is talking about and having a conversation with China about withdrawing from the country as a whole. Oh, that's like, crazy. Like, withdrawing from the embassies and all that sort of stuff. And all of this now, taking into consideration, everything we've talked about has been building and has been a thing for many of years yes. since the early 80s, right? None of this is necessarily new things. No. It's just come to the point where countries are now getting fed up. It's kind of like when you're boiling pasta, you know, yeah, and you and don't a, put the spoon over the top yeah, of the pan. Yeah, or the heat's and, a little too high yeah, and the you bubbles, don't stir it. Like, it's not like this just all went up in flames and now Russia and China are, like, 
doing all this stuff out of nowhere. I mean, like this stuff has been like boiling water, slowly bubbling, and now it's spilling out over the pan is what it sounds like. But to go back to the Ukrainian problem, um, one of the reasons why it's so important that NATO does something here to stop Russia is because China's watching right now. And China is estimating how to combat whatever response it is that NATO or more particularly America will have if a foreign country invades another country and takes away their democracy. A great example of this is what's going on with America, China, and Taiwan. That whole essence of that island existing off the coast of China, this beacon of democracy surrounded by the Sea of Red that is the Communist Party of China, that idea is very important to America because it, sh it, it gives the citizens in China who might be against the Chinese party, because we forget that this party is strict and they are a regime and they are, they have full power. This is not, this is not an American citizens versus China citizens war. This is a, the Chinese communist party versus America kind of war. As long as Taiwan is this beacon of hope of democracy, it just instills that second guessing of the citizens of, of China, sorry, of do we really want to put up with the Communist Party or maybe, I mean, look at what our little ancestors, like the shared ancestors, shared culture even, and look at what Taiwan is doing with democracy. Yeah, I mean, China's even going kind of North Korea-ish on us and they have blamed the entire tension, everything, um, on on America. Um, Which is not true because recently Taiwan had a vote where they decided whether or not they would rejoin with China or if they would remain an independent nation like they currently are. And the vote was overwhelmingly in favor despite China spending billions of dollars on a campaign of reunification. The vote was still overwhelmingly in favor of remaining separate from China. So yeah, Ta I mean, Taiwan citizens, they don't want to be part of the Communist Party. Yeah, don't I mean, let China twist those for sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I mean, they're trying the to frame itself. us as the bad guys. Like America's the problem. China's definitely the problem here. Yeah. I mean, the government's definitely making a play here. Cause I mean, former um, foreign minister Wang Yi, right. Said this morning, um, he said the U S continuously puts forward wrong words and actions toward China, causing new conflicts and relations between the two countries. That's, that's a quote, like a direct quote from what he said. China's trying to make us look like the bad guy, but as far as I'm concerned, America currently does not discriminate against However, your religion. All of this was over a phone call. Um, between of course, the, of course, they had the balls to say that kind of stuff when <laughs> they're not looking at phone, us in the yeah, face, right? It's yeah. like breaking up with a girl over the phone. It's just, it's a week. <laughs> Yeah, and he even came in to trash um, President Joe Biden. He, compla of he complained that the administration has maintained tough political and economic policies and acted earlier despite its expressed wishes for a less confrontational relationship. Now, however, I can agree with that statement, but I'm not sure that it's a this is the place to call that out from a Chinese standpoint. Look, all I got to say is that under Trump's... Um, under his cabinet, under his presidency, 
we started being more aggressive with China. This is this is fact. Trump started taking an anti-China stance. Biden, even though he is on the opposite political spectrum of Donald Trump and did run against Donald Trump, has decided to continue Donald Trump's strategy with the anti-China rhetoric and with the sanctions on China and with escalating the Cold War between us. Now, I'm not saying that America's not doing anything perfect, but what I will say is that a country like America, which has been divided politically bad lately, here's an example of something that both parties kind of seem to be in agreement about, which is that China is, in fact, becoming our enemy and that we do have to watch them. And it's just it's an interesting thing to think about that with all the separation between Americans right now, this issue seems to be something that both parties are pretty much in agreement about. Yeah, 100%. And so in the finale of the Olympic talk today, I mean, the, the latest release of news on this, uh, the headline reads, China demands U.S. halt Olympic interference. Um, and they went as far to say in the article, um, let me find it so that, of course. Um, just to, while Rylan's looking for this, I would just like to add that another thing that um, Americans, uh, the government is protesting is, I forget her name, but there was a famous Chinese celebrity who accused a, um, she accused high members of the Communist Party of sexually assaulting her, and she vanished a month later and has not been heard from since. So it's not just we don't like the internment camps that they have there. It's also we have on record multiple people speaking out in China that are Chinese citizens about the Chinese party and they have disappeared afterwards and we don't know where they we are. We might have to mess around and turn into a murder mystery. That's <laughs> we, we might have to uh, uh, for sure. But at a monthly briefing Thursday, Chinese defense ministry spokesperson um, Wu Xian responded to a question about U.S. military movements in the Asia-Pacific region by saying China's armed forces were fully prepared to deal with any foreign um, provocations or emergency situations that arise during the Olympics. So they're, they're saying, hey, you've gone far enough. Um, we are now threatened, and we will not hesitate to retaliate during the Olympics. However, China does not want to. They, they are. They have come out forward saying that they don't want anything to be happening during the Olympics. As far as even saying, telling Russia to back to off stop, with Ukraine, to hold they, off, and they have until said after that. the Olympics because they, they that's said, not what the whole situation is about. Because even China, 100%. as terrible as some may think they are, they do have a little bit of a moral compass yes, and understanding that the Olympics is to show off their country, and it's going to bring great, great things for them regardless of the situation. And so China now, however, they did demand it, which is a little bit of aggressive, but we were aggressive first. So 100%. the aggressiveness is kind of warranted. And I would like to reiterate right now that there is a major difference between a Chinese citizen and a member of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Vastly different. Chinese citizens as a whole, I mean, they just want a country that is strong. I mean, they want a good economy. They want people to have plenty of money to feed their family. They want it to where their kids don't have to work, like in the conditions that we described earlier. I mean, they want the same thing that any sane American would want, which is just comfort and security in their nation. The Chinese Communist Party 
just has very questionable morals. Yeah. And I'm not even really against them existing because I'm always of the mindset that like it's for like if a country doesn't like how it's going, the people need to take up arms and the people of that country need to be the ones to get rid of the problem. Because if we take something like Afghanistan, for example, it's very hard to be another country coming into another country, even if your intentions are good, and set up a working government for that country. It, it does not work. If the Chinese Communist Party is going to fail, it has to be because the Chinese citizens want it to fail and they're tired of what's going on. But as long as China is censoring people, as long as concentration camps exist, as long as I will be denied religious freedom, it's really hard for me to be okay with them making these moves that they're making. It's really hard for me to almost want America to back off of them. Like I'm not, I'm very anti-war, but I kind of agree with what we've been doing lately and pushing China and going like, yeah, we're not just going to let you push us around anymore. Like we're standing up for what we believe in as a country. And of course you could argue that maybe America's just doing that because it wants to go to war with China. I don't think that that's true though, because I'm pretty sure our military knows that as much as China probably could not attack Americans on American soil, it would be just as hard for American troops to successfully hold any land in China itself. Um, a lot of experts in this area have said that the war with China is inevitable. It's just when. It's not an if question. It's just when. It's a when question with the current dynasty. Um, and so I just... It's it's inevitable. It's just when is it going to happen? That's another like we said. It's another cosplay into how World War Three could even start. Um, that one by far would be deadly and would be. That one I could see one hundred percent calling for a draft and yes, I it could would. Too. It would take out a bunch of U.S. citizens as yes, well as a bunch of Chinese citizens. Yes. Now, who do you think would win? I, I mean, think, America, like, come I th- on. I still but, think we come out on top. But, I'm not going to lie. Like, yes. Like, here's what we know for sure about their military, right? And, like, just to clarify, because oh, we're not trying to promote fear here by any means. Their interballistic missiles stop uh, our Navy from successfully being able to launch a naval attack like Normandy, for example, and hold their beach. We could not do it, right? However... Their Navy cannot exist outside of the South by South China Sea against America's Navy. And that's just our Navy alone. But the truth of the matter is, is like I said earlier, we have South Korea, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, all which are located in the South China Sea, in agreement with our one fleet that we constantly have patrolling that. And that's not our entire Navy. That's just one like fourth of our Navy. And we're constantly watching that and managing it. And the other month, China told us not to go into certain waters. And guess what America did? We drove straight through those freaking waters, man. So all I got to say is while China's military is becoming scarier, our military is still of the mindset that when you tell us not to do something, they go out of their way just to do it. And I don't think that our military would do that if they were particularly worried about what China could do in return. 
I mean, I don't like, think we're worried at all. I don't think we are either. No, which but, is just but, a crazy thought because we're talking about a war which could go nuclear. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. I almost want to analyze it like a basketball game, but <laughs> I don't want to do that because we're talking about real lives that yes, will eventually course. be cost. Yes, of course. It will eventually happen, and I don't. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's a crazy world. So from this conversation, we've discussed Russia wants and almost needs Ukraine. But NATO and America have made it difficult for Russia to be successful economically if they do follow through. We've also discussed the tensions around the upcoming 2022 Winter Olympics and how they could potentially fuel the fire in not only our disagreements with China, but also the ongoing conflicts between Russia and Ukraine. In our next episode, we will give updated information on both these current events with the start of the Olympics, as well as hitting on some new topics. We are currently developing ways for our listeners to contact us so that in the future, you'll be able to give us feedback on our episodes as well as suggestions for future episodes. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Bi-Monthly Disasters. Also, a special thanks to the Texan News Service at Tarleton State University for providing the equipment and platform for our podcast. Stay classy, Texans.